You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, church, if you have a Bible with you, please make your way to the Gospel according to Luke. We're continuing on in our series through the Gospel of Luke. Today we're in chapter 12. We're going to be looking at, I'm going to be reading verses 22 through 34. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, 22 through 34. I want to begin by reading this passage, which is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. And he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon and All of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches And no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friends, as as we reflect on these words that Jesus spoke for the benefit of all of his disciples, both past and present, we discover in paying attention to these words spoken by the Savior, we, we discover a sobering truth about material possessions. Here's what we discover. It's going to be up on the screen. Our emotional response towards material possessions and our use of material possessions either minimize or magnifies the glory of God. Our emotional response towards material possessions and our use of material possessions either minimizes or magnifies the glory 
of God. That's the point of this passage. Now this morning, we're only going to focus on verses 22 through 31 and the way we feel about material possessions. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at verses 32 through 34 and the way in which we use our material possessions to magnify the glory of God. So what I would like us to do now with the time we have together is to look again at verses 22 through 31. And I want to do so by considering the following two points of application that I believe Jesus was giving to his disciples. Here's the first point of application. When it comes to material possessions, don't follow your feelings. Verses 22 through 30, that is what Jesus was telling his disciples. When it comes to material possessions, don't follow your feelings. Look again at verse 22 and how verse 22 begins. Luke informs us that Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you. Notice that word therefore. That means that we should see what we looked at last week, verses 13 through 21. We should hear what Jesus just said in connection with that. Think of the word therefore always as an arrow pointing back, saying you, you can't understand what I just said unless you remember what, what I said before. So let us go back now to last week's passage, verses 13 through 21, and I actually want to read this entire passage because much of what Jesus is saying to his disciples is connected to what he had just said to the crowd. So look with me now at verses 13 through 21 of chapter 12. Luke tells us, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Men, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Luke informs us that right after Jesus gave this exhortation to the crowd, that he then turns around and gives a parable explaining this exhortation. And then after doing that, he addresses his Disciples. So think about last week and this week. This man asks a question. Jesus briefly addresses him. Then he turns to the crowd. He addresses them. And now he says, it's time for me to address my disciples. And that's what he's doing here in verses 22 through 34. 
Now listen to what Jesus then tells his disciples. After saying, sharing this parable, he turns to his disciples and says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Jesus is instructing his disciples at this point not to be anxious about food and clothing. Those are the basic necessities. So he goes from talking, sharing this parable about a man who had way more than he knew what to do with. This was not a man who was laying in bed at night wondering, how am I going to eat tomorrow? And he turns around and he now shares this parable, or, or this addresses his disciples and says, we're not to be anxious about what we eat or what we are to wear. Which raises the question, why should his disciples, both past and present, not be anxious about these things? It's not because they're not important. I mean, these are the most basic necessities. So why does Jesus say, don't be anxious about them? He gives the answer. He says, because life is about more than food and clothing. At first, we could hear that and think, Jesus, that sounds really trite. I don't know if that's very comforting. I mean, can you imagine walking up to someone who is really living every single day wondering if tomorrow they're going to eat? They have one pair of pants and they're starting to get a hole in it. And they say, I I just, I I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And you just say, hey, life is more than than food and clothing. They'd probably think, uh... I will never share or bear my soul to you again. That was unhelpful. So obviously Jesus is is not being tried. So then why does he say this to his disciples? Well, here's why. Because Jesus was calling his disciples to live differently than the man in the parable or the people in the crowd. He's not minimizing the importance of needing food and clothing. He's just saying now that he's addressed the crowd and this common temptation, it's almost as Jesus is saying, I've addressed the temptation for everybody, but now I want to talk to you because how you relate to material possessions should be radically different than the crowd. Everybody needed to hear what I just said. But you've got to look different than even they look. If you follow me, the way you approach earthly possessions, and even your basic needs should be informed by your understanding of who I am and that you follow me. See, I believe Jesus was calling his disciples to live for eternity and not just for the things of earth. And unlike this man in this parable, Jesus was calling his disciples to live as if God did exist. But not only that, but to live as children who belong to God and who are cared for by God. You see, the way you live should look different than the crowd. They often forget there's a God. And if they do believe there's a God... He doesn't care about basic necessities like that. Do you live the same way? 
If you follow me, you should live differently. And we can see that Jesus is connecting what he said to the crowd and what he says to his disciples in something that he does in verse 22. When he says, your life, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. That word life there, it's the word soul that we found back in the parable in verse 19. Do you remember the man in the parable says, soul, you're good. Well, Jesus is using, unfortunately, our, most of our English translations translate that as the word life. He's actually using the same word. He's still using that parable. And he's saying to his disciples, we can, we can struggle with the same thing. We, we can forget there's more to life than just food and clothing. There's a spiritual component. Do you see how Jesus is playing off this parable? This parable he just told to the crowd. And he does so in order to instruct them. He's telling them, don't be like that. See, the man in the parable, his, his problem was not that he had an abundance and he's being a good steward and he's saving it up by building bigger barns. I addressed that last week if you've ever read that parable and thought, well, what's wrong with what this guy's doing? The problem with what he's doing is he's living as if there's no God, there's no death, and there's no eternity. And he's therefore telling himself, I'm good. And in doing that, he is living with a sense of false assurance. False assurance caused by his financial stability. But Jesus is saying to all of those who follow him, we must not live that way. But we might see this parable from last week. And we might think, oh yeah, man, I don't live that way. I realize there's a God. I realize death and eternity. I don't have that kind of false assurance tied to my finances. I'm good. And then we hear what Jesus says and realize, oh, there's a flip side that's more subtle. Maybe you and I are not struggling with false assurance because of financial security, maybe you and I are living with financial anxiety instead. Maybe you're not like this guy. Says, so you're good. You have all the assurance in the world. You got barns. You got it all. And we can think, okay, we're good. And Jesus says there's an equal danger. It's the flip side of the coin. It's not... Financial false assurance, it's financial anxiety. See, when we worry whether we will have enough, you know what happens when we do that? We end up acting like there's no God. And that if He does exist, He doesn't care for our need. To put it most bluntly, when we live like that, we look like orphans instead of children of God. Jesus is saying to his disciples, oh yeah, you don't want to be like 
those that put all of their trust in their resources and have this false assurance. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is leaning in saying, be aware of financial anxiety. It's just as dangerous, but maybe more subtle. See, as disciples of Jesus, we must not be anxious about our material needs. Now, when Jesus tells his disciples to not be anxious, we, we could think Jesus is just implying they're to have no concern about financial matters. That's not what that word is, is, is saying at all. That's not what Jesus is seeking to say to his disciples. Like, guys, stop worrying about that. As if it's no big deal. It is a big deal. God made us as humans in bodies who need food, who, who need basic provisions. So that word anxious isn't saying, hey, have no concern. I think the word, when you really study what this word means and how it's used, here's a better definition. To be anxious is to be obsessed to the point of fear. Be obsessed to the point of fear. Why do I say fear? Because verse 32, what does he tell his disciples? Fear not. So there comes a time when that anxiety about how, how I'm, am I going to pay the bills ends up being this obsessive thought. And it's not an obsessive thought that leaves you to peace or to trust. It's an obsessive thought that always leaves you going, what am I going to do? What if, the, what if the bills don't get paid? What if the lights get turned off? What if the car gets repossessed? You ever realize that when we go through those scenarios in our minds when we're laying at bed at night? Have you ever noticed that they never play out well? <laughs> Have you ever laid in bed at night and worried and all of a sudden it ended with someone walking up and saying, hey, here's a check for, and you're like, oh. You know, like that, God. No, it always ends up with the worst case scenario. You would think we would be aware of that by now, but yet we can obsess to the point of fear. Well, if that describes you, maybe recently, because of financial hardship, you have found yourself obsessing over material possessions or financial provisions, maybe to say it better then Jesus offers this instruction. Look at verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus says to his disciples, Brothers and sisters, don't. Don't be anxious about material possessions. And if you are, consider the ravens. That's strategic that Jesus used ravens here. Back in verse 6 of chapter 12, he uses sparrows to make a similar point. But it's important that he's using ravens here because ravens are unclean. They're not just a bird, like a sparrow. And he says a sparrow doesn't even fall from the sky without God's knowledge. 
He says, even those dirty things that you would be unable to be around without becoming unclean, a raven. You know what? God provides for them. And this is where he points back to the, to the parable. And yet they don't farm. And they don't have storehouses like the man in the parable. And yet they have food to eat. Have you ever looked out and saw birds tilling soil, planting crops, harvesting the crops, and yet they eat? Because God feeds them. And Jesus is making this lesser to greater analogy again. How much more so? If he feeds these inconsequential, impure birds, how much more so will he not meet your needs? Do you get what Jesus is doing here? He's helping them see not only God's meticulous sovereign governance of the world, but His care for them. God cares for the great and God cares for the small. Now look what Jesus says next in verses 25 through 26. Here He reveals the, the troubling nature of our anxiety when it comes to anxiety over material provisions. He then says, and which, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, Jesus is saying, what good does your anxiety do? It's futile, isn't it? It doesn't benefit. You lay in bed at night with that reoccurring worst-case scenario. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't wake up with a solution. You just wake up heavy-hearted, fearful. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples see, listen, worrying is doing nothing for you. But I think Jesus is even saying more than that. He's not just drawing attention to what anxiety doesn't produce. I think by this question, Jesus is saying to his disciples, pay attention to what your anxiety says about what you believe. Have you ever listened to your anxiety? I would imagine, I don't know everyone here as well as I know the vast majority, so I can only speak for the vast majority. I would imagine that you believe God is in control of everything. Then, then why do we worry about whether we will eat or what we will wear? 
do we really believe he's in control of everything? See, what our anxiety reveals is that this is an area that has flown under the radar. And if we're being honest, we don't trust God. And any time we don't trust God, that's sin. So let's not call anxiety anything else but what it is. A failure to trust God. It is sin, and sin must be confessed and repented of. So if you're here this morning and you say, oh man, I have found myself in the throes of just obsessing over how things are gonna, how bills are gonna get paid to the point of fear. The Lord wants you to see it may not feel good to, to see this, but it's necessary and it's His loving care for you. He wants to show you that in this area you're failing to trust Him. Now Jesus moves on now from the topic of food to clothing, verses 27 through 28. He then says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, remember the great king of Israel, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Have you ever thought about why flowers are beautiful? Or what makes a large field of green grass look like a scene from a portrait? Unbelieving neighbors and coworkers may say, Mother Nature. The answer is God. God makes them Beautiful. God arrays the world with beauty. He clothes the flower with beautiful petals. He causes the grass to grow. And if He does that, for grass is growing today and tomorrow, to use more common expression, is getting mowed. It's going to end up in a bag on, on our on our lawnmower that we then dump in the trash. And yet he does that. How much more, if we are his children, will he not care for us? Will he not clothe us? See, Jesus is making a point here we must not miss. God governs all of life, including the natural world, and that He cares for creation, which means that He governs and cares for His children above all else. If God clothes the flowers and causes the grass to grow and the ravens to eat, and not only does he cause it to happen, he cares. Then doesn't that mean he cares for us and will govern our situation and circumstances far greater? 
The answer is yes. If he doesn't, if he would say, no, I don't believe God governs all things, including the natural world, then, then what do you do with what Jesus just said? It doesn't make any sense. Hopefully you believe what Jesus just said. Now, as I was looking at this passage this weekend, I was really just taking time to, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to apply it to my own heart. One of the things that, that, that stuck out to me was this question. That growing up, I've read this passage, I've heard it many times, but I've never really stopped to think, why does Jesus draw attention to nature when talking about anxiety? He could have pointed to a whole bunch of other things. He could have done a whole bunch of other things here. Why is he drawing attention to nature when talking about anxiety? Well, we could think simply that all Jesus is just saying is, hey, if you're anxious, go outside and enjoy the fresh air, look at the birds, look at the grass, smell the flowers. Well, that's probably a good thing to do. But I don't think Jesus was just saying that. I don't think he was just saying, hey, watch the birds. Last night, I'm sitting out on the front porch with my wife, and we recently got a new bird feeder on our front tree, and all the birds, I guess the word has gotten out to all the other bird community, and they have just shown up, different colored birds, different sizes, we were watching them all eat. Some of them were being stingy and running off the other birds. They're different colors. My, my wife was very much into it. She's looking at each bird, and while she's looking, she's on the internet. What kind of bird is that? And we, even by the end of the night, I was finding a book on Amazon of all the birds in Texas so she can start following them. Is that all Jesus is telling us to do? Go sit out on your front porch and enjoy the birds. I think he's saying more than that. I believe Jesus is applying the doctrine of providence to his disciples. This is what Jesus is telling them to do. Remember God's providence. God governs everything, including nature. And that should say something to us. See, after reflecting on this point about how Jesus draws attention to nature to help his disciples fight anxiety. Here's what I realized. The cause of our anxiety, anxiety over whether our material needs will be met, it's often the result of weak theology, not financial hardship. Now, if you were to say, why are you anxious about your finances? We would say, would you like me to show you my bank statement? I can pull it up on my app. I can show you my bills. But how often, if we're really, really aware of what's going on in our heart, our anxiety is not caused by our financial hardship. It's the result of weak theology. Why do I say that? Because that's exactly what Jesus just said at the end of verse 28. Oh, you of little faith. Do you see it now? Our financial anxiety is the fruit of small faith. 
Now we would say, no, that, that's not true at all. My, my, my anxiety is the fruit of my small income, my small bank account. And Jesus says, no, there's something greater at work. You have small faith. Which means, listen, if we want to overcome the the anxiety that Jesus is talking about here, we must do so by deepening our faith instead of following our feelings. Stop listening to your feelings. When all of a sudden the bill comes due and there's not enough in your bank account and you lay in bed and you allow yourself and your feelings to say, oh, it's, it's, the lights are going to get turned off. We're going to be homeless. I knew we were going to end here. My mother always told me not to marry that guy. We would end up broke, you know, or whatever. Things go through your mind. Instead of saying, I'm not listening to that. Here's what I know. God governs all things. And not a sparrow falls from the sky without his knowledge. And he feeds the ravens and he feeds the grass. And I'm far more important because his son purchased me by his blood. I don't know how he's going to do it. That's above my pay grade and out of my department. But here's what I know. He cares, and He will answer. See, one of the reasons we care so much about doctrine as a church has to do with what we believe about good application. See, a lot of people think you have to choose doctrine or application. And I I just think that is a false dichotomy. Doctrine is the roots that produce the fruit of application. If all we ever want is just, hey, give me a five-step really quick plan, Jesus, to do these five things and things get better. That sells. But that fruit doesn't last. See, the deeper the roots, the better the fruit. See, good theology actually produces deep and meaningful application. See, without deep roots, the fruit will not last. So we must, we must counteract our anxiety and our feelings about our our material needs with doctrine. Reminding ourselves, this is is true of God. So let let me give you one point of application before then we finish this section and look at verse 31, which we won't spend much time on. I want to suggest that one of the things we do in light of this message is that we spend more time meditating on the doctrine of creation. I actually think it's a topic we we have neglected as evangelicals in in the last several hundred years. You go back throughout church history, you look at the Psalms. How much do the psalmists talk about God as creator and not just redeemer? I'm glad as a church we are focused and centered on Christ as Redeemer, but sometimes I think we can talk about God as Redeemer to the exclusion of God as Creator. 
And that's, that's to our detriment. So we should study the doctrine of creation. And here's what we realize when we study the doctrine of creation. When we go to the scriptures, it doesn't speak of creation in past tense. We think of creation and we think, oh, yeah, the six days. No, read Psalm 104. It's celebrating God as creator and it's speaking in the present tense. See, creation is never just something God used to do or God something God did. It's something he's continuing to do. He's providentially, not, not, a, not a bird eats, not an animal eats, nothing happens in the ecosystem apart from him making it happen. And if you and I don't believe that, then how are we going to counteract the anxieties when they come? We're going to be tempted to give in to our feelings. For time's sake, I won't read this, but I want to encourage you to go read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. You probably know the passage, but we often forget how it ends. It talks about Jesus being the word, that he's the, the radiance of the glory of God, and it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It says that he's the creator of all things. Notice it says he's the creator of all things, not past tense. Right now, you and I are sitting in our chairs with breath in our lungs because Jesus Christ is allowing us to live. If you don't believe that, then you're just alive by chance. Hope everything goes well for you on your way home. Hope no car pulls out. Hope nobody does anything stupid or foolish. But if our life is in the hands of our sovereign God and Savior, we can trust Him in all things. We often forget that. Now, Jesus wraps up this exhortation that He gives His disciples by making one last point of application in verses 29 through 30. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Now, at first glance, we can look over verse 29, and we can misunderstand what Jesus is saying. We can come away thinking Jesus is, says, hey, give zero, zero effort, zero energy to making a living. Don't worry about those things. Either food's just going to fall out of the sky. Bills are just going to get paid. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The key to understanding what Jesus says or said to his disciples is at the end of verse 29 when he tells them, do not worry. That's not the same as don't be anxious. We can just think these are synonyms. This is a very unique word. If I remember correctly, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's a word we could translate uncertainty. This is more than just anxiety. This is uncertainty. See, the, the word here Jesus is using communicates a sense of doubt. A vacillating between faith and unbelief. And Jesus is saying, that shouldn't be true of you. If you follow me. So here's what I think Jesus was saying to his disciples in verse 29. If, if I could put it in my own words, 
I think he's saying, trust the Lord to provide for your needs and stop acting like this area of your life is one in which you need to take matters into your own hands. Well, God cares about the big things, but he doesn't care what's in my pantry. Really? He doesn't? Well, I've got to take matters into my own hands. And Jesus was saying, no. If you believe and you don't vacillate between, well, I think he does care. I don't think he, I'm not sure that he cares. I'm, I'm not sure he can answer this. I'm not sure he can pay this bill. And we have a resolve. No, he will. I don't know how he will, but he will. He may answer it differently than I expected, but he will answer it. That's what we are called to do. Anything less than that, that vacillating in between is unbelief. And Jesus says that when we live like that, and we don't trust Him, even with our most basic necessities, we actually don't look any different from the world. That's what He means in verse 30. Don't you realize the world has the same thoughts? They act the same way. Don't you realize you belong to your Father? He knows all your needs. He knows every single one of them. So how do we correct this problem? What do we do to counteract this problem of giving into our feelings when it comes to our finances? Lastly, verse 31, we focus on his kingdom instead. And we're not going to spend hardly any time here because next week we're going to pick up with so much of the practical outworkings of what Jesus is saying here in verse 31. But I do want to read what Jesus says here and offer just a few thoughts. Jesus said, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What Jesus just said reveals a sobering truth we need to hear. When we're anxious about our financial provisions, we're actually living life in reverse. Actually living life in reverse. That's what he meant when he said, life is more than food and the body more than clothing, verse 29. We're living life in reverse. In other words, the eternal is more important than the temporal. Heaven should shape the priorities of earth. But when we're anxious about our provisions, we're living life in reverse. We're putting the temporal above the eternal. We're allowing earth to tell us what heaven is like. We're living in reverse order. Do you remember what Jesus taught his disciples to pray back in chapter 11, verses 2 through 3? Your kingdom come. And then he said, give us this day our daily bread. There's an order to things. Your kingdom's first. What I'm going to eat comes second. And let's be honest, often our priorities are in reverse. It's not that what we're anxious over is small things. It's just they're in reverse. And the consequence for such a reversal is anxiety and stress, is it not? When we get things out of order, God didn't make them to work that way. When we do, guess what we end up doing? Being fretful, 
being tied up in knots and unhappy. Which means that when we seek God's kingdom and we make that our chief concern, not only will God meet our need, but God will give us confidence that he will meet our need, which means we will live without anxiety. See, how do we combat this kind of anxiety? Well, when not only do we do the things Jesus already told us to do, to consider providence, but when we put his kingdom first, have you ever noticed that? When you're putting God's kingdom first, you're probably not laying in bed at night thinking, what am I going to eat? Your priorities are different, and there is not an anxiety and a fear and a stress There's a trust. Next week, we're going to come back to verses 32 through 34. And we're going to think about how to make the kingdom of God our chief concern. But as we close, here's what I want to just impress on our hearts as we we finish this, this message and we hear these words from the Savior. When we take to heart what Jesus has said, not only will it do something for us, it'll say something to the world. See, when we handle our finances in a right way, you know what it says? It says Christ is worth sacrificing. Christ is worth sacrificing for. His kingdom is worth investing in. And Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior that provides for His people's needs. See, when we live this way, it's not just that it affects us. We live without anxiety. We benefit. But when we do the things Jesus is calling His disciples to do, we actually make a loud statement about who He is and the kind of King He is and about the kind of kingdom he runs. And so we don't want to make a false claim about his kingdom, do we? Our anxiety does that. And our trust says he's the all-sufficient Savior. Let's pray and ask God now to write this truth on our heart and help us to apply it. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for caring for us enough to speak very clearly and specifically into the details of our life and to the struggles of our heart and pulling back the veil to help us see things we wouldn't otherwise see. Lord, we do lift up those that are struggling financially. That is no small burden to bear. It is no small thing that is inconsequential. It matters to you. Lord, I pray for any of those this morning that that are here that are just wrestling with that, burdened by that. I pray, first of all, they would cast their cares upon you because they know you care for them. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help them be more aware of who you are and what you've promised them than they would listening to their feelings are looking at their financial statement. And that, Lord, you would help them to trust you. And where they're failing to do that, 
Lord, I pray that you would, you would grant repentance. And that, Father, we wouldn't be anxious people. Lord, we would live in such a way that Christ is made much of by the way we live and by the way we handle our finances. Lord, we want you to be glorified in our life. So, Lord, would you help us now to take what we've heard, to be affected by it, and to act upon it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.